Welcome to Advent season here at Union Chapel. So glad you're here. We've uh, been celebrating this month the consideration of the coming of Jesus Emmanuel to the earth. And I hope that you've been in touch with him, been encouraged by that. We are going to receive uh, our offering in just a moment. So if you'll be preparing for that, I want to just mention that. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletin today two envelopes. One is the regular offering blue envelope. And the other is our special one-time-a-year offering for Christmas. It's the red envelope, and you can use that for that purpose. Let me just remind you what we're doing for Christmas offering this year. We'll be receiving that this weekend at all of our services, and on Tuesday on Christmas Eve, uh, that'll be another opportunity for you to give to this offering. But $10,000 uh, to the Blood and Fire Christmas store. How many of you know that money's already been spent? Yeah, because the store's been open for several weeks, and... That's doing a great ministry to so many people, and we're so encouraged by that. And then Light Their Path Children's Bibles, you can see a designation for that. We've uh, distributed many children's Bibles around the community, Muncie, Delaware County, thousands of them literally, and we'll be sending Bibles, children's Bibles to Ecuador this coming summer. So lots of good ministry going on there. And then the... Uh, the bulk of the emphasis for this year's offering goes to what we're describing as strategic recovery ministries. And um, uh, I can say without any hesitation now that there has been a greater number of people respond to this particular item than any time in the last uh, several decades in the life of our church. There are many, many people in our congregation who are involved professionally yeah, either with recovery ministries or agencies who do recovery work, uh, people who volunteer with people in recovery. It's been a, a real interesting, eye-opening experience. And it's obvious why there's been so much response. It's because the need is so great. Virtually all of our lives, all of our families, we all have connections with people who suffer with addiction. And this is a relevant, pertinent issue and as you know, we're trying to build up a fund, a war chest, if you will, so that when we find a meaningful strategic partnership with people in the community, that we can kind of fill in some of the gaps that still exist in the recovery process here in Muncie, Delaware County. And I know you feel good about being part of something like that, and I do as well. We sense God calling us to do it, and we're very intentional about vetting those potential partnerships. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, in giving. We've established a goal of 50000 for that category. I hope that's underestimating uh, your intention in all of this, but uh, we can certainly reach that goal. So thank you for your generosity in that regard. Uh, also, just a reminder that we're having Christmas Eve services on Tuesday at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock right in this room. It's family-friendly. It will last about an hour or less. So bring your whole crew. It'll be great. You have a homework assignment for Christmas Eve. I'm going to give a short message on what's so amazing about Christmas, and there is something that is the most amazing thing about Christmas. I want you to be thinking about that, and we'll reveal that on Christmas Eve, see if you can guess what it is, and um, I want you to think about why Christmas is so amazing. Uh, so let's go ahead and receive the offering. The offering buckets are there on the right side of your aisle, so grab that, pass it across, um, Normally, one of our associate pastors will not say this, but I have liberty to do so. Once you pass it across and it doesn't look quite full enough, send it back across until it fills up a little bit more. And then 
That would be perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> so good. We've been talking this Advent season about things that we should let go of, kind of lightening our load for the holidays, if that's possible. Let go of your stuff. Let go of distractions. We talked about letting go of bitterness, an issue that all of us have to deal with. Last week, we talked about letting go of control. I know that none of you suffer with that, so you have referred this message to people you know who are controlling, and you've asked them to give it a listen. And today I want to just strongly urge you to consider letting go of your past, letting go of your past. I'm going to read as our reference today this uh, classic traditional Christmas passage from Luke chapter 2, so get a little taste of Christmas in the middle of this message, and and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 14 verses of this beautiful uh, depiction from Luke the physician, the writer of this gospel And I hope it's meaningful to you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for doing that. I'll begin at the first verse. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. May God inspire and encourage us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. All right, I have a primary thought for the day. Reach for that outline in your bulletin. There's some blanks to fill in today. I hope that you'll stay attentive enough to get those filled in, and it'll help you track And here's the key thought, thought for the day. So if you're going to check out, you know, you have other things to think about besides this message and you're not going to listen to the whole thing, you don't have plans for that, maybe you need to take a nap, you're exhausted from everything. Uh, uh, Here's the main thought, the key thought for the day. So if you get this, you'll get the idea. You might want to write this down. Although you can't change your past, God can change your future. Though you can't change your past, God can change your future. Years ago, one of our uh, regular parishioners here, a woman told me that one of her good friends, who was another member of our church, was expecting a child. So the next time I saw that friend at church, I walked up to her with a smile and said, congratulations, when is your baby due? She was not pregnant and uh, she took some, some offense 
By the way, uh, there's only been uh, one time that I've done that. Uh, you only do that once. And that was the time. So all the years after that, this woman who I accused of being with child, who was not with child, she actually did have a couple more children. And so depending on the season she was in, whether with child or not with child, she would remind me, I am not pregnant or yes, I am pregnant, just because she wanted to make sure I knew. Uh, the funny thing about our past is that it, always, it doesn't always stay in our past. And sometimes it's not funny at all. Maybe for some of you, it was losing your temper while you were with family and that family member can't let you forget it. Maybe you betrayed a spouse. No matter how many steps you've taken, you don't seem to be able to make progress. Maybe you had expectations for yourself and your life. Maybe you woke up this morning and you realized your life looks so much different than you expected and not in a good way. So it's almost like a door, isn't it, our past? It's a door there that is, it seems like it's always open. You can't go through it because you can't go back. If you could, you know, you, you might. If I could do that over again, if I had that moment to relive, if I had that decision to remake, you might go back, but you can't. You can't go back there, but yet oftentimes there's this cold wind, this chilly wind that blows through that door on our lives. And it's part of our past. So this is the challenge for us. We have to let go of the past in order to take hold of God's expectant future. Let me remind you of the apostle Peter, the disciple, one of the followers of Jesus. And this was the last supper. You remember this occasion? And they're all there together. This is the night of the trial, the betrayal, the, the ultimate crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and they're all together. And Jesus says to the whole group, he says, you know, someone's going to betray me. And Peter immediately speaks up. He's never bashful in these kinds of moments. And he says, no, no, there may be people here in the room who are going to betray you or deny you or desert you, but not me. Not even in the face of death will I betray you. And Jesus smiled at him and he said, no, no, Peter, uh, before the morning, when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, during the trial, short distance from there, a small fire, Peter is there trying to warm himself and a little slave girl just simply looks at him and says, you were one of his followers, weren't you? He said, no, I don't know him. And another person, yeah, yeah, I, I recognize you. You were, you were with him. And he denies he knows him. I, I don't know this guy. What are you talking about? And then as the rooster crows, at that moment, Luke 22, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You can feel that, can't you? The disappointment, the shame, the guilt that disappointment that comes, and we all have felt it, when we've made a mistake, when we've sinned, when we've made a poor decision, a regrettable moment, we feel the regret that comes from that moment. Peter felt the guilt and the shame, yeah. Maybe it's a loved one that we let down that caused our sense of guilt. Somebody at work that we talked about and then they found out about it, we felt bad. Maybe it was that person at school that you knew you should have stood up for them, but you didn't. 
and they were hurt. So what does the enemy say to us about our past? Because all of us have a past, every one of us. On your outline, you might want to write these things down because these are tactics that the enemy uses against us, and he does it all the time to all of us. And one thing he says to us is, you're unforgivable. You're unforgivable. What you've done is too much, or you didn't do enough. Your failure was too great. It impacted consequentially too many people. You are unforgivable. Another thing he does is say, you are unlovable. People really knew you, they wouldn't love you. People knew what you said, they wouldn't love you. People knew how, how filled with doubt and regret you are, they wouldn't care about you, they wouldn't love you. If people just knew the real you, they'd never care and love you. And so the devil says you're unlovable. And then the final conclusion is the devil will say you're unusable. You're unforgivable, you're unlovable, and because of what you've done, the enemy says you're useless. Because of your past, you have no future. And so we hear these words, we feel these feelings, we are impacted by this assault on our, on our lives. And so we come to conclude, and many people do this. I'm talking to people in this room today. You live so much in your past that you cannot embrace or even imagine a hopeful future. And you say to yourself, you know, I could never have a, a strong, loving, God-honoring family. That's just never going to happen for me. And so you give up hope for that kind of future. Or you, or you say, I've made so many abusive choices in my life, I can never be physically healthy again. And so you give up on that potential, that possibility. God could never use a person like you because of what you've done. And so our enemy fills our minds and fills our hearts with accusation and condemnation. These are his primary weapons against us. He accuses us of being less than we really are and then condemns us. You are this, that, and the other. You're bad. You're wrong. You're, you're a horrible person. The accusations come from him. And then he condemns us and you're never going to make it. You'll never amount to anything. You're going to hell. Accusation and condemnation. And it comes in the form of unforgivable and unlovable and unusable. And so many and too many people buy in to these lies. Because as your pastor today, I want to make an announcement to you. I want you to hear me. I want to be clear that when you hear that you're unforgivable, that you're unlovable, and you're useless, listen, those are all lies. They are lies. It is a lie. That is not true. That is wrong. That is a lie. When you believe a lie, you are deceived. And many people in our world today are deceived because they have come to believe and conclude that because of their past, they no longer have a future. That's a lie. That's a lie from an enemy. That's a lie from a dark place. That is not the will of God. That is not the truth of God. The truth of God is that you are a lovable person. You have already been forgiven. And God has a wonderful, hopeful, fruitful future in mind for you. That's the truth. And you want to believe the truth. Could I get you to believe the truth today? People have asked me over the years, if you had the power to give people one thing, what would it be? I've, I've come up with the answer to that question. If I had the power to do it, I would give you the ability to believe about yourself what God believes about you. If I could give it to you, I would. 
God says you're lovable. God says you're forgivable. God says you're already forgiven. God says, I have a great plan for you, a future of hope, possibility for you. You are accepted. You are loved. You are forgiven. You're part of the family. God wants to include you, not to exclude you. That's the truest thing about you. God says you're unique. God says you're special. God says, I've never made another person quite like you. There's, there's never been a person like you, and there will never be another person just like you again. God has made you uniquely special and designed so he can love you just the way you are. Amazing. It's the truth. That's the truth. And you want to believe the truth. So here's the challenge. If we can't let go of our past, hear it now, then we can't take hold of the future God has for us. And God will never leave you languishing in the, in the past. No, no. He always meet, meets us where we are in today, in this moment, and takes you from here into his hopeful future. Well, a few days later, Peter had returned to his old job. Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and the third day rose from the dead. There, were, there was conversation about that, but, uh, but the boys went back to their old job. And Peter was a fisherman, and so he's in the boat, and he's been in the boat all night. And he's returning. It's early morning. It's sunrise. And he sees a guy on the shore with his partners in the boat. And he's got a little fire started there on the shore, and he's cooking some fish. And he hears the voice from the man say, hey, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. And when Peter hears the voice, he goes, I know who that is. That's the Lord. And so Peter dives in the water and swims to the shore and he comes up on the shore. Now, the last time, the last words, the last words that Peter had with Jesus was at the Last Supper. You'll deny me three times. Peter said, no way. Last time they'd spoken. So now Peter, can you see him? He's shivering in the cool of the morning, dripping wet, gets to this little fire, sits down across from the fire from Jesus. Jesus is still working on the fish, and it's dead silent. Can you feel the tension? Can you feel the poignancy of the moment? Peter there shivering. He doesn't want to say anything because he's still in his shame and his guilt and his regret. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. So he just waits. He's waiting. He's not sure what's going to happen next. We have the conversation. It's in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus finally says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Now, this is his full, proper name. He doesn't call him Simon alone, which is his first name, given name. He doesn't call him Peter by the way, we refer to the Apostle Peter now, we have for these 2,000 years, but that wasn't his given name. His given name was Simon. Peter was a nickname that Jesus gave him. It simply means the rock. You're my rock. So Jesus gave him a nickname that stuck to this day. But he doesn't call him, hey, Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. This is like when you were small. Remember when your mother would call you by your full name? This is, you know, if she used your first name alone, that was, I could take my time coming in for dinner. If you get the full name, first, middle, and last name, you better hurry it along. This is serious business. And so this is how Jesus addresses him. Simon, son of John. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anybody else? 
Now, Peter is filled with the pain of his past. He looks at Jesus and he says, yes, I love you. A second time, Jesus said, but do you love me more than anyone else? Peter says, Lord, you, you know I love you. You know, why, why are you asking? You know I love you. And then a third time, Jesus says, but do you, do you love me? Love me more. And Peter says, Lord, you're hurting me now. This hurts me that you keep asking me. You, you know me. You know I love you. I'm so, and the unspoken was, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What does Jesus say to him? He says, if you love me. And three times he says it. If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my people. In other words, he's saying to Peter, I have a future for you. I have work for you. I have a ministry for you. I have, I have purpose for you. I have a destiny for your life. You are not your past. You are not your mistakes that you have that you have committed in the past. You are not the sins of your past. You are a man who is forgiven. Your heart is for me and you love me. And now I'm calling you to a hopeful, expectant future. Now, Jesus didn't just say to him, you know, what you did was, oh, that's okay. We'll just forget, forget about that. We don't care. Uh, let's pretend like that didn't happen. That's not, that wasn't the idea. That wasn't the, mo the moment. The moment was, I know what you did. You know what you did. But listen, we got to get past that now. Let's get healing from that. So Jesus wasn't trying to make Peter just feel better. He was trying to actually bring wholeness and completeness to his life. It's just like any wound that any of us have. You got to clean that thing out first in order for it to heal properly. And so Jesus is saying, okay, let's, that, that happened, but now we've got to move forward. It's important to acknowledge that and to deal with that, but now we've got to go forward. We have, to, we have to think about the future now because that's what's most important. Are you hearing this today? This is such a, a powerful, powerful moment. And, and, so, and so, so God is concerned about us and he wants to help us. So how do I let go of my past? Here's the first point in your outline. You just write this down. Close the door. Close the door to your past. Close it. Now the bullet right underneath that, write this down. God's grace is bigger than your sin. How do I close the door to the past? I embrace the truth that God's grace is bigger than my sin. John chapter one, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical rebirth, but a birth that comes from God. So how do we close the door on our past so the enemy can't continue to speak those lies into our lives? Simple step, we accept this truth. We accept this truth that God's grace is bigger than our sin. It's a big truth. It's a powerful truth. It's an awesome thing. God's grace is bigger than our past. God's grace is bigger than our sin. And this is how we know it. First John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There it is. There's the promise. See, he doesn't say if you beg, 
you're forgiven or if you feel really guilty or really ashamed and you carry that around for several years, you know, lay on a bed of nails for, for a long, long time until you really feel punished for making such bad decisions, that's not the qualifier. He says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful. This isn't about your worthiness. This isn't about your, your uh, uh, u- unique and special specialness uh, 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 as a person. You're more forgivable than someone else. No, actually, we're all guilty. All have sinned, fall short. That's our condition. That's just where we are. We need to own that. It's important to acknowledge it. Jesus says, though, forgiveness is a simple decision to give our sins over to the one whose grace is greater than our sin, to receive forgiveness. So the next bullet point, your standing with God then is determined by relationship and not by his rules. It's about relationship. Years ago when we were uh, raising our two boys, Aaron and Isaac, we uh, on occasion uh, practiced corporal punishment. Now everybody take a deep breath, it'll be okay. They're, they're both all right, they're, you know, they're not warped or uh, you know, in some institution today because of this horrible treatment. Uh, Beth and I actually, I went to a Ball State bookstore one day and I bought one of those uh, fraternity paddles one of those wooden paddles, you know, they're substantial with a little handle carved out at the end, a little leather strap so you can hang it on a wall. And so on occasion with our boys, we applied the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. <laughs> and, and we had categories of offense. So if, you, if it was a minor offense, it was one whack. If it was a moderate offense, it was two whacks. If it was severe, then it was three whacks. You could get up to three whacks with that paddle. And uh, Beth rarely uh, applied the corporal punishment. I was always the one who did it. She didn't really have the heart for it. I didn't have any problem with it at all. And so it was just easier for me. (laughs) And Isaac, on an occasion, uh, he really stepped in it. I mean, he, he, he was way way outside the boundaries of expectation. And uh, so we held our, our court and Beth was there and I was there and Isaac and he pled his case and it, it was a, a weak case. And so he was convicted and, <laughs> and sentenced. And uh, this was gonna be a three, three whack sentence because it was a big one. And, uh, and Beth already got it, was starting to get emotional because it, it was hard for her. She just didn't have have the heart for it. And, and Isaac was pretty distraught because he knew what was coming. And for some reason that day, I, this was completely out of character for me. I didn't have the heart for it either. And so I just, I thought, what can we do? And then this thought crossed my mind. Probably Jesus put it there. (laughs) And I said, you know, this is an offense and justice requires that someone be punished for this kind of offense. I mean, otherwise we can't have a righteous home. It's not a righteous place if we don't have righteous expectations. And so someone has to, someone has to pay for this. And I said, so... I'm going to take your punishment today, Isaac. 
for you. Now, our protocol was bend down, touch your knees. And so I bent over and touched my knees. I hand the paddle to Isaac. I said, uh, please don't hold back because you know I wouldn't. And he cracked me three times. <laughs> by, the time, by the time it was over, all of us were in tears. Beth was crying because it was so upsetting to her emotionally to see Isaac going through this this trauma, I mean, it, it, it was so poignant for him. I mean, he's crying because he knows that I'm suffering now because he made a mistake. And I was crying because, dang, it just hurt. <laughs> I, I thought, man, I had no idea. This was <laughs> this kind of painful. Wow. Had a high, better appreciation for it after that. And listen, our relationship with God is like that. He knows we're guilty. Yeah. He knows we've sinned. And yet he still loves us. Now stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. He knows us fully. And yet he loves us completely. How do we know? We know this because God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, guilty, guilty as we could be, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God didn't, God didn't send just as some messenger to tell us about this. He came himself. He didn't send some angel with this hopeful future, this plan of forgiveness. He came himself. God could have written across the sky, but you know, by divine fiat, I am almighty God, I now declare your sins forgiven. Could have done that, but he didn't. He came himself. The penalty that was due to us, the consequences of, of our sin, which we deserve to pay, Jesus took upon himself. He took the punishment. He took the pain. He took the ultimate death that we deserved on our behalf. And so now we can proclaim this wonderful gospel because now we are not only fully known, we are fully accepted in God. The same God who knows us the best, knows every flaw, is the one who has given his life in perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why angels were dancing the night of his birth. This is why they said glad tidings of great joy for all the people for unto you this day is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And so we celebrate this good news, this amazing good news, this unbelievable good news, this astonishingly powerful good news. To be fully known and to be fully loved is a powerful thing. And so is the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Praise God. Wonderful news. Got to let go of your past. God has, you need to let go. All of us have regrets. Can't believe I did it. Can't believe I said it. Wish I hadn't have. If I had that to do over, I would change it. But here's what Romans 5.20 says, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. How wonderful is that? You think you're a big, bad sinner? Mm -mm. 
grace is bigger than that. Oh, you don't know, Pastor, I, I'm dark. I've did some dark things. Grace does much more abound. Does much more abound. Yeah. Our closing song, we'll sing in just a few moments, is O Holy Night. We'll sing it again on Christmas Eve. One of the verses say, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Can I get a witness? Sinful, error-filled. Yeah, that's us. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Hear this now. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Future's bright. No matter your past, future made bright. So lift up your heads. Look into the loving eyes of your heavenly father. Let go of your past. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. What a wonderful promise. So we simply need to make the decision to close the door to those lies that say unlovable, unforgivable, unusable, and open our hearts to the forgiveness of God who says to us, you are a loved and accepted and a welcome child into the family. Praise God. So number two on your outline, just quickly write these down. If you'll do it, step into your future. Step on in. First bullet, God saves you from your past so you can step into your future. That's the whole idea. Look at Philippians chapter three on the screen. I want you to hear this, friends. This is, this is it. This is the advice. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Hear it now. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. How powerful is that? How beautiful is that? How hopeful is that? Forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the prize of the upper call of God in Christ. One more, one more blanks. Your story is not a story about your failure then. It's about God's victory. It's not about your failure. It's about God's victory. Because God wants to take imperfect people and he wants to touch other imperfect people. This is what he does. This is his amazing love. Maybe you're a single parent. You've been a single parent for many years. You know what you are? You're qualified to provide ministry to other single parents. That's who you are. You have a future to help people that way. Some of you grew up in homes that needed more love. Now here's your opportunity. You can create a home that's full of love. You can do that. You can invite others into your home and show them what a loving home looks like. For some of you, it's as simple as going to school and recognizing that student in your class because every class has one or two. That's unlovable. Just, it's not easy for them. And so they're not happy. Maybe they're mean. Maybe they're hard to love. Maybe they're sad. But you could love them. You could pray, Lord, help me love my classmate because they need love. 
Or maybe it's someone at work. Faces of people are coming to your mind right now. They're angry, they're bitter, they're not happy. They need someone to love them. You could do that by God's grace because you've received love and acceptance and forgiveness yourself. You've let go of your past. You can love them well enough that they'll be invited to let go of their past too and find a hopeful future. This is the will of God for the people of God. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, I know that there are some of us in the room today who walked into church holding on to their past. You're here right now. You live with feelings of guilt and shame, regret. But today you've heard the good news, good news for you, that in Jesus Christ you can let go of your past and embrace a hopeful future. You can do that. Friends, really all of us have a past, don't we? Every one of us. So let's pray this together out loud. Would you do this? I'll say the words. You say it right after me out loud. You ready? Heavenly Father, I'm ready to receive your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I'm ready for a new start. I confess my sins, and I believe Jesus died on the cross, and he was raised from the grave so that I can be forgiven. I'm ready to follow Jesus with everything I have. So I let go of my past and I embrace a hopeful future. In Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?